Welcome, traveler. You have entered the realm of adventure. Prepare yourself for tales from beyond the dice. Hey everyone, it's your dungeon master and old friend, Luke. Happy New Year. I hope you've all had a restful few uh, months, you know, from December to January, and you're all ready now for the 2018 year. I've got to apologize as um, we haven't released anything since Christmas, you know, little, little slack of us, but it was sort of just a, a time to give us a break because people went overseas, people had holidays, people still worked a ton. Uh, it, was, it was pretty busy. But now, we are all back, and we're all ready for adventure. And finishing off last year, we noticed that some of our listeners have not actually played D&D or really any other RPG. So, to kickstart the 2018s, we decided it would be cool to do an episode which would uh, be classed as sort of a beginner's guide to D&D and RPGs. So Ben, who plays Cortain, and I sit down to have a conversation about D&D and other RPGs in general. Hopefully we can help those who don't really know what's going on in the podcast to understand what we're on about when we say things like crit or make a check or roll a d20. Now, if you get to the end of this episode and you still have questions, jump on Facebook, search Beyond the Dice podcast and ask away. We'll try to answer your questions there as soon as possible. We're absolutely, absolutely happy to have a chat about anything RPG or D&D related. Now, in saying that, welcome to the Beyond the Dice Beginner's Guide to D&D and RPG. Hey, Ben. Hey, Lurk. What's going on? Oh, not much. Not much. Doing pretty good. Sweet. So we've um, we've decided to get together in this virtual internet room mm-hmm. to have a little conversation about RPGs and uh, Dungeons and Dragons because we realise that there are some people that listen uh, that have not played Dungeons and Dragons. They have not played. Uh, any other RPGs, and we thought this would be a good point in the, during the mid-season break to release something that sort of uh, goes through what they are um, and how you play them. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, as you said, yeah, it's a mid-season break, and yeah, we're really glad for everyone who's been listening so far, but we realise, yeah, for those who are listening, perhaps those who want to listen in the future, it would be good to do a brief introduction to RPGs, what the terms are that we use, what we're actually doing when we, you know, say things in the podcast. All right. So we've got um, some sort of, we've got, we have some parts, some sections to this podcast, uh, like chapters in a book. So first off, we have the beginner's guide to RPGs. Picture like a uh, man sitting at a big mahogany desk and he flips open a huge tome or something. So Ben... Um, so Ben, what, what is an RPG, man? What's an RPG? What's that even stand for? Oh, well, RPG stands for role-playing game. And I think when you said before, the sections of this question, of, of this interview would, or this discussion would be like the chapters of the book. I think that's very, that's very poignant because really an RPG is a very interactive 
narrative. That's that's in its most basic form. That's what it is. So a lot of other, there'll be a lot of things which you can class as, as an RPG or considered RPG like. So um, probably the very simplest um, and one of the, probably the oldest would be um, inter like you know um, choose your own adventure novels, something like that. Yep. Um, even or even just just generally, um, you know, when you're a kid and you're playing you're playing with your friends and you're playing some sort of make-believe, like that is role that is a role-playing game, um, perhaps less sophisticated with less bounds, but nonetheless um, but nonetheless similar. Um, so a role-playing game is a narrative, whether that be uh, based in like a book or literature or in a video game, say like the Witcher series or the Dragon Age series, where you take a character and you progress through the story and things happen and you have to actually make decisions in how to respond and that changes how the game works so other games like mass effect or other things are just video games that are more or less rpgs in nature um but specifically to to what we do in the podcast a role-playing game is is more or less a just a narrative where each person has a character and we, yeah, simply just respond to the events that are going on as described by you, Luke, the, the, um, the one who kind of runs it. Sweet. So um, when, when you say you, you react to events and, and things that happen in the game, is that, like, generally, is that, is that Ben reacting to it? So just say I'm, I'm running the game and suddenly a dragon swoops over your town and sets fire to the town hall. What what does Ben do? Your choices that you make, how do you make them? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. So, as I said before, you will have a character in this in this adventure, and that character, depending on how you wanted to, what kind of idea you wanted for that character, can be very similar to my like for me, say, could be very similar to my personality, or I could try to create a character that's very different, in which case I need to think about not what I would do naturally. If if I saw a dragon flying over my village, I would probably run into the nearest source of water. Um I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't heroically stand to defend the town. Um Ben, ben quickly get into the horse trough. Quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Quickly flip it over myself. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it, it depends on what you what you want to play, um, or or the character that you're you're playing. Like, if say I was playing a heroic heroic knight, someone who is who is devoted themselves to protecting others, to willing to sacrifice themselves in the defense of others, then sure, when a dragon comes swooping over, I'm not going to be thinking about how I can protect myself, but how I can protect others, and so. It very much depends on on your your personality and also if how similar that is to the personality of the plot, the character you are trying to portray. Awesome, yeah. It's um, it's it's a little hard to do at first. Um, you know, being being a player and, and being a um a DM or GM, dungeon master, game master. Um, it's one thing that you want your players to do is is to make a choice uh, based on the character that they've created rather than a choice that they would make or an action that they themselves would make. So, you know, if, if Ben is playing that knight, um, or if he's say playing a, um, a barbarian who, who has, um, maybe some lower intelligence, he's not going to say, 
all right, we can use this and this and this rope here to make a catapult because, you know, he's barbarian who has come from, you know, maybe the the wild lands where he uses a stone axe. Um, he might, or he shouldn't really know how to make a catapult. So mm. making a choice... Um, based on the character is is honestly the best the best way to push the narrative along and uh, and actually to get your brain thinking because you know we're we're sort of educated and we know oh, what what to do in this situation because of all the information available to us but to stop and think all right what would my caveman-esque barbarian do in a situation when he encounters a um a man on a horse completely covered in steel armor what does he mm. do does he yeah. throw his stone axe at him like yeah for sure like discussing we're educated like the barbarian doesn't have wikipedia like he can't he can't search the internet for what to do at that time no absolutely not he can't just quickly whip out his <laughs> iphone and google something yeah um yeah and with with discussion we're talking about about it's very difficult like i've played role-playing games and Dungeons Dragons specifically for a long time and I definitely have seen that newer players find it for newer players their first character is all is usually very much like their their personality because you know it's it is a very different and, and sometimes difficult thing to be able to take yourself out of your own personality and your own ideas in a, in a way it's it's kind of like acting like you'll see that very good actors are able to play almost completely different characters in different movies. Um, and so that's kind of what it's like. And it's not a very easy thing to, to pick up immediately. Yeah, that's 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 true. Um, sometimes new players completely surprise you, though, as well. Oh, yeah, that's like, true. I'm not saying that, that people aren't, aren't naturally gifted in that sense. But, but oh, you know, no, no, I would no. say it's very easy and very understandable that someone playing a role-playing game is coming to grips with just the interactive narrative element itself. And, and that's sometimes as much of a new experience and as much as a learning experience by itself, rather than also adding on trying to act in a completely different way than you would. Yeah, because it's sort of unnatural to act in a way that's not natural to you. So yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, yeah. you're, you're you for all of your life. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's how you think. So, so Luke, how... How many different kind of RPG systems are there? Say similar to like D&D, the people sitting around a table making a narrative playing characters. How many systems are there like that? Okay, Ben. So I knew that there were a lot of them. And so just doing a little search and some, and some research, there are probably thousands of different ones. Um, I didn't know that there were this many. So when I, when I thought that there were a lot, you know, I thought maybe, maybe, oh yeah, it's probably like a hundred different types of uh, RPG systems, but there are so many that I first attempted to count, uh, each entry uh, on this website of all the different types. And I got to about 28 and then I was like, nah, I'm not doing, I can't know. I can't just count them manually. And then I thought of doing some code stuff or something to try and count every line of this website. And I was like, no, this is stupid. Let's just say that there are too many to play <laughs> without enjoying each one mm. in your life. Maybe. 
But I bet you there are people out there that have gone and tried every single one. And you know what? That's awesome. Keep at it. So, to name a few of the bigger ones, um, you know, you've got Dungeons and Dragons, and then you've got all the editions of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, So, you've got, you know, Dungeons and Dragons from way back when, advanced Dungeons and Dragons, all the way up to the current iteration of 5th edition. You have Dungeons, you've got Fate. Uh, Fate is a really good RPG system for people that don't want to really do any math and they're more based or more more um, inclined to the storytelling aspect of an RPG game. Um, there are RPG systems to fit any any shape and size of dice. There are systems and settings based in all different types of genres as well. You know, there are systems that are more... Uh, cowboy western based there are ones that are space orientated there are some that are even um, sort of built around high school teen dramas Um, there are so many rpgs out there Uh, they're not all fantasy based or adventure based even Uh, some of them are just um, like a life simulator in a way with with events that happen and unfold a storyline as if you're watching a television show Mm. Speaking of, of, of television shows, there yep. there are several RPGs, though, that are based around the world and the lore of, of, of very famous, famous, you know, um, movies and stuff. Like, there's, there's, like, Star Wars RPGs and, like, Lord of the Rings RPGs. Yeah, there's um, RPGs about uh, Judge Dredd uh, and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, mm. there's, there's quite a quite a few of quite a big bunch of RPGs that that are based around media and and books. And it's stuff. not all just like medieval style people with swords and and knights and and wizards. No, there's there's like a whole a whole range, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, like you know, for example, you you did say Star Wars, and there are there are some awesome books out there, some some RPGs that you can create, you know, a scoundrel like Han Solo, or you could be, uh, you know, a Jedi Knight like Luke Skywalker. Um, you could be, um, like, just a, a space-faring merchant traveling around trying to sell your wares or peddle illegal weapons underneath the Empire's nose. Um, mm. So, there, yeah, some really cool stuff out there. You don't have to play uh, an, a fantasy-based RPG. You can You can go and play one where you are... Literally, a swarm of rats that have a collective hive mind that can fly and shoot laser beams out of their <laughs> eyes. Like, that is a part of an RPG system called Gamma Worlds. Okay. So, there's, there's, there's more or less something for everyone. Absolutely. If you really want to play RPGs, you'll find one that suits. Yeah, like, if, you, if you're really interested in, you know, in RPGs... Um, and you want to and you want to have a look at all the different types. I don't usually say go to Wikipedia and and search it, but if you type in list of role playing games by name Wikipedia in Google, you will have a lot of I'm going to say fun, but it's not really fun of going down a page and looking at the thousands of entries of different RPG systems. But if you do want to try out D&D, or an RPG, um, I would suggest a local game store like Good Game or Mind Games or or uh, any sort of store that sells D&D stuff or board games. 
And I would just speak to the people there and say, hey, do you have any games running? Or even um, search uh, D&D in Facebook and there'll be groups out there that uh, play online if you don't feel comfortable going in person straight away. Mm. Um, so there's plenty out there to choose from, guys. Don't just think it's, uh, it's all Dungeons and Dragons. It's just we love Dungeons and Dragons. We've been playing it for quite a while. Uh, we really enjoy the fifth edition. So when st- when we started this podcast, we it was just natural that we would um, continue playing fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. So in saying that, Ben, why do people play RPGs? <laughs> why? Um, well, I hope that our that that our previous answers enthusiasm has has given some people some idea, like an idea to this question already. <laughs> um, I mean, reading. I mean, why why do people read read you know good good works of literature, good good um, fantasy or sci fi books or even just historical novels to to see a, a you know to get a nice narrative to be able to see how characters develop through adversity and through triumph and and all that and but and an RPG is 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 that but you yourself are the character. Um, so I mean, it's 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 so much fun. It's so much fun to pick up a character, to try to play or think differently to how you would normally to to act in that sense, um, to try to succeed and and you know and and interact with other people in this in this in this you know made up world. Uh, and I mean, I've I've never played the Star Wars RPG, but I would really want to. Um, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Are, you know, are movies that I really enjoy, universes that I that I am quite fond of, and and I would just love to play in those those kind of worlds. Yeah, so I oh mean, I really want to play the Star Wars one as well. Oh the yeah. The thing is, I I just don't want to run it. It's just too. It's just the books are a bit big, and I, at the moment I'm running like what two two campaigns and doing this podcast and stuff. So I'm like sort of running out of time. Yeah. But um. We have to try and convince somebody to do it. Somebody, one of our mates, we can probably convince to mm. run run the game. All there is also a great social aspect. I found. Um, oh yeah. I started. Yeah, I really started getting into, into role playing games towards the end of high school, uh, like in my in my final year of high school. And since then, I've more or less had continuous campaigns on and off, but. Running every two weeks, I'm, I'm running two campaigns, and it's just meant that every two weeks I've seen about a dozen or so very good friends from high school that if I wasn't running this, you know, we, we don't have a structured time to meet and, and catch up, so I wouldn't see them nearly as often as I do. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, a lot of the time, sometimes, you know, your friends sort of come and go because... You know, you get jobs in other places. You go to uni in other states, even, mm. uh, and then and you just lose contact. You find it hard to to align up schedules. What Dungeons and Dragons does when both parties say, "Ben, you're uh, you're running it. You're the you're the DM the, or the GM, the dungeon master or game master," and you say, "All right, we're going to start playing D and D Wednesday nights." Uh, every second Wednesday at 7 p.m., come to my place. We're going to start playing some an RPG. Mm. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I'm into it. Let's do it. We, you know, we might talk about, oh, you know, is Wednesday a good day for everybody? 7 p.m., who gets home from work late? Whatever it might be. And you sort of put that time aside and go, this is a time we can all meet up and uh, and play D&D. Whether that's 
going to Ben's place or jumping online on something like Roll20, which is a an online tabletop that you can all jump in and roll some virtual dice and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, it's a great way to, to bring friends together, um, bring in new people and meet new friends. Uh, for example, uh, the game one of the games that Ben's run, runs, I'm a player. Uh, I joined with Jeff from the podcast uh, and we entered a group um, of people new to D&D, uh, people that we hadn't met before. And uh, it's probably one of my favorite groups I've ever played in. Um, the guys are just really cool. They're funny, uh, accepting. Nobody ever brings anybody down. It's just a good environment because we're there to push away the world that we live in for a bit uh, and run around in the forest as a ranger or uh, climb a mountain and shoot magic at goblins as a wizard. Um, you know, we're there to sort of have some fun. Uh, so, why do I play D&D? Um, I love following the storylines and, and making the choices that make sense for my character uh, and and making a role um, and choosing a skill or, or, a, or an action and the uh, and making a role in it beca- being a almost sort of a random outcome you know if i'm like all right what i'm going to do is i'm going to try and convince this angry town guard um that i'm a cool guy and uh you know maybe he can take us to the local guardhouse and shout us you know a couple drinks or something uh, you know if they have any drinks in their guardhouse some wine or something that they've confiscated uh, and then i decide to roll a persuasion because I'm trying to persuade him that I'm a cool dude and I'm not really a cool dude and I uh, I fail and then the guard maybe gets really aggressive with me and arrests me and then my team my party my friends have to try and save me like it's just completely random I could have succeeded the role and then uh, you know all of the team the party they get to drink some some ale or some wine with the guards in the guardhouse and become all buddy buddy with them um, but you know, we left that up to chance and, and, you know, then maybe from the guardhouse we go and we find the, the bad guys we're searching for, and there are more choices to make, um, you know, c- talking to the group and in character and saying, oh, like, what should we do? Like, you know, the rogue might have an idea that the barbarian doesn't have and sort of collaborating together, um, to, to, to follow the storyline and to, um, sort of sometimes put put a stopper in the DM's plans. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you talked about trying to persuade that 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 guards that that city guard. So why what? How does that happen? How, what what do we do as a as me as a, as Ben as a person do in order to try to persuade that person? So why why do we roll dice? Okay, Ben. So you were there. At the mouth of the cave, water drips from the roof as runoff from snow trickles down the mountain. Your quarry, the large, large dire wolf that has been stalking in the town and and taking the local sheep and ripping them to shreds, is somewhere within this cave. Mm. Now, you've just said to me that you wanted to, um, to check if there are tracks nearby to say... If this wolf has come or gone recently, 
and if there are more than one, because usually wolves travel in packs. So what you will do is you will grab one of your dice. And now this isn't just a six-sided dice like you get in Monopoly or that's in the little bubble in, uh, in Trouble that you click down and it pops around. This is a dice that has 20 sides. Now, this is the case for Dungeons and & Dragons and um, a lot of uh, RPG systems. They are called D20 systems because they use the 20-sided dice. So, in this, in the podcast and in uh, and this episode, we might say things like D10, D4, D6. That just means dice or die and then the number of sides it has. So, D20, it's got 20 sides. D8, it's got eight sides. And they're all in different shapes and sizes and you can get some pretty funky dice out there. So, anyway, you're at that cave. You grab your 20-sided dice. You roll it. Not just because it sounds cool, but because you need to grab that initial number you roll, which is a 10. Yep. And then you look at your skills that you might have on your character. You know, you might have uh, athletics, so how fast and far you can run. You might have investigation to see the um, who killed Colonel Mustard <laughs> in the kitchen with the, um, you know, with the revolver. <laughs> yep. But... To try and track down this wolf and maybe how many there are, you choose to use maybe perception or survival or nature to determine how many there are. So your just say your um, your nature is or, or survival is at you. You mean plus like seven nature skill or like survival skill, like the yeah, it's it's what your character is trained in. Um, so what their what skills they have. For example, as a person, my math skill is not ridiculously high. I'm okay at math. I can do some simple math. But uh, Ben, your your math skill would probably be very high. Mm. So if I was to roll a math check on an equation, I might roll a ten. But because my uh, my math skill is only maybe a plus two, it would only be 12. So I don't hit the target. I can't figure that equation out because it might be that the target is 15 and I've only got a 12. So I fail. But you, you might roll an eight and your math might be plus 10. So it's 18 and that far surpasses the equation target. Yeah, okay. So, so rolling a dice is like kind of a random element, but also added the natural abilities or the trained abilities of your character, which will give you a modifier to that dice roll. So you can try to meet a particular target that tells you whether you succeed or fail or by how much you succeed or by how much you fail. Absolutely. So you're at the foot of that cave. You roll your dice, you get a 10. You look at your skill list, you'll see nature or um, follow tracks you're a plus eight because you're a ranger, an elf ranger who's spent his entire life in the woods with his 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 clan, his family. Mm. And so the 10 plus the plus eight for your nature or follow track skill is an 18. And now the target, which you don't know, I do because I'm running the game, is a 14. You surpass it easy. So you know that... The dire wolf and four of its pups exited the cave 
about two hours ago, and they could be back soon. Okay. Okay, I think I get that. I believe you do, sir. I believe <laughs> you do. Um, oh, yeah, why? for what reasons would I roll anything other than the D20? Like, we said that there would be fours or D8s, or even the, the standard D6 or the six-sided dice, um, which has, you know, when we say D4, it means the the outcomes on the dice go from 1 to 4, a d20 from 1 to 20, a d6 from 1 to 6. So why would I roll anything other than a d20? Yeah, so, okay, well, let's just, uh, let's say that we're playing a start the Star Wars game um, or a, a space-based game. You're um, in a corridor, there are a bunch of soldiers shooting at you because you're a, um, you're a dirty mercenary. You might grab a implosion grenade and throw it down the hallway. When it explodes, the damage that that grenade might do could be 2d8. So you need to grab two eight-sided dice and roll them twice because it's 2d8, two of those dice, add the total damage together and that's the damage that the grenade that you throw at the soldiers will do. Okay. So if I will say, instead of throwing... So when I throw the implosion grenade in this scenario, I would roll to try to see if I hit them first? Uh, it depends. Some game systems you don't. Some, uh, when you say you do something, your character is skilled enough to do that. Okay. What might happen is your enemies may roll to avoid it. Uh, in, in most RPGs, you roll to hit. So when you throw that grenade, you might go... All right, um, my accuracy or my dexterity isn't very good. Um, hopefully, I can throw this grenade close enough um, or accurate enough at these soldiers. So, you roll uh, a dice. Could be a d20. Could be a d6. Um, a six-sided dice or a 20-sided dice. Oh, no. You know what I've done? I've rolled a one, which huh. in some games is a is a critical fail. So what might happen is you go to throw your grenade and you throw it. It bounces off the bulkhead in the spaceship, the wall right next to you and lands at your feet. Mm. Now you're stuck with a grenade that's about to explode or implode. And, and then you have to take that 2d8 damage to yourself. Okay. Uh, so say, say in that situation... Instead of sales out of implosion grenades, and I just find a spanner on the ground, and in a last desperate attempt, decide to throw a spanner. So that would that that would that would have a lower dice roll, like then I'm assuming that would have a lower dice roll than an implosion grenade because you know I'm throwing a spanner. Yeah, unless you're some sort of I don't know futuristic spanner wielding ninja warrior <laughs> that has some super skills in throwing spanners. Yeah, so, you know, we might say, all right, because it's an improvised weapon um, or, or something that isn't necessary, like, isn't really a, a weapon, a conventional weapon, I should say, uh, like a, a sword or a pistol or a, a baton, um, I will need you to roll, you know, your hit. So, you throw the spanner at one of the soldiers as he, as he runs up towards you. And if it hits, then you might roll a smaller dice to do less damage because it's not a conventional weapon. Okay. 
Ben, uh. we've said a few words and a few things that aren't really words. They're just a couple letters stuck together to make a sound that comes out of our mouth. What are those words and terms? Uh, what are they used for? What do they do? And what do they mean? Yeah, okay. So, I mean, we've, we've said a few before or throughout this, this, this introduction. So, things like Luke just said before, when you roll a one, some systems would call that a critical failure. That would imply, like that, you know, a critical failure is like if you roll a one or if you roll really bad, then not only would you, say, fail to hit the target, but in the in the example with the um, implosion grenade, you don't simply just throw it and it does no damage to anyone, but you throw it and it, it negatively impacts yourself. Or you've got the opposite, where if you, say, roll a 20 on your, D side, on your, on your 20-sided dice to try to hit someone, you not only hit them, but you hit them extremely well, or you hit them so well that it, it positively benefits you even more than the normal attack. So say you were throwing that grenade, um, say it got lodged up against the wall, exploded, and then opened up that corridor to the vacuum space, and all the um, all the soldiers were, were, were pulled out. Um, and then the bulkheads closed, and then you're safe. So that would be something that would be far a far better success than if you simply threw the grenade and exploded, and, and the people were, were thrown about. Um, yep. Other things like rolling to hit. We've said that before, where you roll to see do roll a d sided um, a twenty sided dice or whatever your system is using, or things like checks, where like Luke said before, I is that um, ranger. Um, in front of that cave trying to see if I can spot tracks. That would be a possibly a survival or nature or perception check. So that's when I more or less roll my dice, in this case a d20, add my nature, and then put that up against um, whatever value, DC or difficulty check, that Luke, as the person who is running it, as the DM, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, he has allocated. And the difficulty check, or the DC, is more or less how difficult it is for me to succeed at what the, at what I'm currently trying to do. Yeah, so, uh, for example, uh, you know, Ben, you are now... Um, you are now a superhero. Um, you're one of the skill-based superheroes, like uh, Black Widow or Hawkeye, where you, you're amazing. You're, you're more than an average person. Uh, but you are not a, a god who shoots lightning, or a um, or a strange little man who who has blade claws that come out of his hand. You um, you're there, and a, a villain uses his his um, his magnetic powers to lift a bus and throw it at you. And you say to me, "All right, I want to catch the bus," and I say. Well, you don't have super strength. You've just got crazy ninja skills. Um, this is going to be very difficult for you. Uh, so the DC will be high. Mm. And then you might roll to s still see if you can uh, catch it, which uh, could possibly be impossible. Or you say, you know what? Actually, instead of trying to catch this bus that the bad guy's thrown at me, I'm going to dodge out the way. And so that action of dodging out the way would be an easier DC because it's more possible mm. and more plausible for you to be able to dodge a bus flying through the air than catch it. But if you were, say, 
Um, uh, and we don't want to break any copyright laws, but um, the incredible bulk, you are super strong and you're a tall blue man. When that bus comes at you, you might say, I'm going to catch it. And I'm going to say, awesome, go ahead. And then the DC or the di- the difficulty um, class or, um, you know, the target that you have to meet to be able to catch that bus is going to be average or um, or lower because your, your, um, the situation for you is different to the ninja guy mm. who doesn't have super strength. Or the, yeah, or the check might be... Difficulty check might be the same, but simply because you're so strong, you get a far larger modifier to your role. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there's also DM, the dungeon master, the game master. They are other very important terms in a role in most role playing games. So, Luke, can you tell us? And we've said it many times already. What is a DM? What is a GM? All right. So we've said it a few times: dungeon master and or game master. The purpose of a dungeon master or a game master, besides bringing everyone together to play this wonderful thing called an RPG or Dungeons and Dragons, is to facilitate a story or a narrative within the RPG system, within the rules and the guidelines that contain the story, and ensure that our players, our people, are having fun and that the story or the narrative continues to flow. That's basically our job. We're not there to beat you guys and uh, and win by killing all the characters. That's really not a, a good time, unless, you know, it's a an RPG system that's based around that, of uh, the players trying to defeat the bad guy, which is the DM. Um, but generally, it's to, say, describe the situation, the setting where you are, you know, you're at the the mouth of that cave. You're in the spaceship as the enemy troops are flooding on. You are down on this planet that is mainly ocean and you're on a boat as a three-headed shark dives over you into the water. Then the players choose to make their actions in which the DM, the dungeon master or the game master decides what should be what skills should be used or how the players should act in a way uh, you know if it fits the system or, or the setting or the rules uh, and to speak back to the characters when they enter a bar and they order a whiskey and orange juice and the bartender says we don't serve whiskey with orange juice we serve it on the rocks or we serve it neat so it's 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 we're here to continue that story when the players say, you know what, I'm not going to go chasing that bad guy up to the mountain of fire. What I'm going to do is I'm going to head south to the coast and I'm going to see if I can get passage on a boat to another land because you know what, I am bloody, I've had it up to here with all of these orcs, you know, <laughs> I just don't want to fight them anymore. I've had enough. I'm leaving. And then from there, you know, the DM might go, oh, well, I didn't expect that to happen. And uh, so I have to find a way to continue the story, whether the the evil bad guy who controls all the orcs on the Fire Mountain then takes over the country that everyone was in before they left to go gallivanting on the ocean. 
Um, and then that impacting the players later on, maybe there's heaps of ships of orcs now. And they're like, what the hell? And I said, well, you didn't like, uh, you know, you didn't stop the bad guy and all his orcs. And they're like, damn, we shouldn't have just left. So it's, uh, you know, it's a way to continue, like DM's job is to continue the story and, and everyone keep having fun until the RPG stops or the, or the campaign finishes or, uh, everyone decides that's enough. Hmm. Yeah. Other, other say video games that are RPG in nature. Say the Mass Effect series is probably a good one. There was, you know, a lot of people got a bit annoyed at the end of the third Mass Effect game because they felt that, in some way, the choices that they made throughout the series all kind of came to came to nothing. Like, you know, it all kind of yeah, just came to the same. Yeah, exactly. It didn't matter. Came to the same ending with just different colors, as, as one of my friends has, has described it. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, true. Green or blue. <laughs> but <laughs> in, in some way, it's, it's very difficult for, for you know, uh, when you're making a game that you, once you make it, you send it out to everyone and you can't really change it. You can't react to everything that a person wants to do you have to kind of put their choices into categories and so someone might want to be a bit more subtle about a way they approach a situation or like or or or, you know more aggressive but in the end sometimes those two those two actions can just go in the same direction because you know you don't have the game developer there in front of you saying i want to do this action game developer's like okay well then i'll program it in and this is how it works um yeah so so you can't just like you know, in, in most games, there's like the good choice. Do I, do I save the boy who summoned the evil monster or do I, you know, let the monster attack him and he'll learn his lesson? Uh, or there's the neutral one where you kill the monster and then you turn the boy into the town saying, Hey, this is the boy that summoned the evil monster. Um, they're usually the three, the three, the good, the, the neutral, um, or the, the bad choice or the evil choice. And then, you know, the net, when you, when you go to fight the, uh, the main bad guy and you go to collect all the troops, if you made the good choice in, you know, killing the monster and, and saving the boy, then, uh, you know, maybe the boy comes and he summons some monsters to help you. But if you let the, the monster kill the boy, then maybe the town, um, you know, doesn't come to your aid either. Where the neutral one, where you turn the boy in, um, you know, the town might rush to your aid and help you fight the big bad. Um, and, you know, they, they just replace a person or two. Mm. But in Dungeons and Dragons, um, the, the DM has to sort of tailor the, t- the choices that are made whether it's his choices or the player's choices and and the events in the world and how everything is affected by those choices um to to come out with a result that's a little better than changing a character or a color of a space station yeah or as luke said before like the dm has to is is there so that you can continually have an interactive story that can change on the basis of any action that the players can make like a lot of games because the developer has to make it and then, you know, you buy it from the developer and they have not more input. They need to, in some way, categorize and limit the decisions you can make because they, you know, need to have a story that continues and then eventually reaches an ending and they can't, you know, it would take almost an infinite amount of memory to be able to program a game to have infinite possibilities for you to act through it. Where in D&D, you just... Um... 
you just react kindly in in the in the setting or in the genre or in the constraints of the game. Yeah. Um, to react to whatever situation is going on. Yeah, definitely. And the DM's not out to get you unless they've had a bad day and <laughs> you they've, they've set up a story that they've really put a lot of time into and then you decide, screw it, we're going to go, we're going to go become pirates. Um, you know, the DM isn't out to get you, but and, and it's his job to react to whatever you might want to do as a player. But sometimes you have to teach those pesky players a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Um, I think I think with with playing with with player characters, the old adage "you give them an inch and they take a mile" is is probably one of the the most accurate ways to describe characters. And I've been a character before, and I know this as well. Like I, Luke's been Luke's been my DM, and I'll be like, "Hey, Luke, can I can I can you give me a little bit of liberty to do this?" And he'll be like, "Yeah, sure, Ben." And then the next session, I you know, can I like can I can I invest a little bit of money here and maybe get some cash back? And he's like, yeah, sure. That makes some sense. You know, do some banking and stuff. And then the next session, I'm like, you know, I've got some gold bling. I've got a massive money <laughs> sim like necklace. And I'm like, yeah, Luke, my investment, like it went really well. And he has to be like, no, no, that's not what happens at all. Yeah. Some, some players do take a big jump in their actions. <laughs> like, uh, you know, we've, we've known some players that have been like, all right, Hey, um, can I, is it, is it, do you think it's cool if I throw my sword into this guy and then run up and pull it out and then slash him. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of like two attacks. You can only really do one. And uh, But you know what? That's pretty cool. Yeah, go ahead. You know what? Yes, and. Yes, and. And so they do it. And it's cool. And they kill the, they, you know, they kill the bad guy, the, the bandit, if you will. Then the next episode, they're like, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw my sword. I'm going to throw my sword into the air about... 25 meters and I'm going to launch up into it and grab my sword and then I'm going to fly down from the sky <laughs> and slash this dragon in half and then I'm like oh uh do you, are you uh, do you have wings there can you fly can you how do you jump that high you know like uh you know they take yeah, it and, a little further and their response is like but last week I threw my sword and it was really cool and this is simply just a logical <laughs> like the logical next step yeah uh, uh. which is great and you can always <laughs> laugh at it but you know don't be afraid if you if you run a system or you're thinking of running a, a game for people don't be afraid to say hey that doesn't really fit in you know the physics of the world or doesn't really fit your character to do your character can't jump 25 meters in the sky and grab his sword and then come down and slash the guy without breaking his legs um yeah so, you know don't be afraid to say those things but just don't close people off to their actions so if you've got a uh, exactly. if you've got a barbarian who's like oh I want to I want to try and read spellbook you, you know you don't want to just say nah man you, you can't read spellbooks you're a barbarian. Um, because that limits them and it's not fun and they may as well go and play Mass Effect 3, you know? Um, so just, you know, DM, DMs have to be open, but then they also have to be, um, have to control the game. Otherwise, it just ends up, you know, six people trying to kill everyone they see. Yeah. D another important thing that the DM does is, and this is more based upon the role-playing system you're playing, is they need to try to balance kind of, What's often described as the rules as written, so the kind of the legality or the, the the specifications or the wordings of the rules or the the rules the rules of how you play the game, and balancing that with what's called the rules as intended. So you know the rules are simply there, in most senses, to facilitate the narrative, to facilitate you guys the immersion of you guys in this story in this in this setting, and 
to give you guidelines about how generally you are supposed to you know act in 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 the setting and so you can enjoy it whereas sometimes the rules as written can be very legalistic can be very technical and might not necessarily mesh with the actual setting the actual narrative and and a, a good example which uh, which can happen often and i don't think jeff will mind if i say this although you know if you can cut this out if he doesn't yeah um in, in my campaign that Luke and Jeff play in that I run, Jeff plays a, a rogue. And one of the rogue abilities in Dungeons & Dragons is if if you're in a battle and the other characters haven't acted yet, um, then you get a lot of bonuses to try to hit them. It's kind of to show that in the first round of combat, if you attack them, they're not ready for it. So you can sneak up and you can hit them where they're weakest. Um, but we've had many times where I've had a more kind of narrative style of combat where the combat will have started well before and it's a lot more about decisions and checks rather than about like a, a very mechanical combat system. And so many times when I do have to go to that mechanical combat system, because it makes more sense, Jeff is like, well, now that we're using action, like now that we're using combat turns, they haven't yet acted yet, even though this has been a combat that's been going on for, like, in game terms, for an hour. Yes. He's like, so do I, does that mean I get bonuses to them? I'm like, no, not really. Like, you've been fighting them for five minutes or, like, for an hour. Like, they know you're there. Yeah, when you're in a, you know, you're, you're fighting an actual war, two sides clashing, uh, and it's more narrative-based, you know, oh, there's a guy coming at you, he's on a horse, you dodge to the side, you know, make a dodge check, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And then you go into, like, the main combat where the leader of the the enemy, you know, the king of the enemy army jumps off his horse and points to your group and says, you know, you will die now. And then you, and then you start a, a combat or like or you start combat or an actual battle yeah. within the mechanics. So of that's the game. more mechanical. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't like, yeah, those, those bonuses, you know, shouldn't really come into effect uh, because you've been fighting for so long. But if you were say um, in the forest and you noticed the enemy king was riding on his horse and you jump out and surprise him, and you know you weren't fighting in that forest that just a second ago. You would get that damage. You would get that that bonus, right? Is that it? Yeah, that's kind of it. It's kind of it, figuring out where the limitations of the rule of the role playing system you're playing are, and trying to mesh it so you have a very nice flow of the narrative and the rules together, because. People who write the rules aren't, you know, they can't think of every conceivable um, conceivable event or they write the rules in a very specific way for a very specific context. So, I mean, I, I, I bet Jeff will disagree and that's fine. And I, I really <laughs> have had some of my favourite arguments about that with Jeff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's another thing the DM needs to do. The DM, in the end, needs to be the referee. Absolutely. second part the beginner's guide to dungeons and dragons <laughs> so hey ben real quick yeah just hey just real quick mate ben just real yeah. real, real quick um yeah bro how the heck how the heck berries have i heard the name dungeons and dragons before <laughs> um you all have heard it from so many different places 
so I mean, it's a role. It's it's kind of one of the. I think it's the most famous of the role playing games, and I think it was like from the nineteen late nineteen seventies, early nineteen eighties. It's it first came out, um, but more recently, it's become very popular. Become more more commonplace in a lot of in a lot of media and a lot of TV shows. So, you know, I think the Big Bang Theory. It's it's in there quite a lot. Shows like Futurama, um, which was like you know made by the same people as The Simpsons, um, even other things that are, are probably um, not more accessible, but probably yeah, Big Bang Theory is quite well known. Community, the TV show, they do a D and D episode in that. Um, the Stranger Things, which is excellent, and I would highly recommend anyone watching Stranger Things. Um, that has D D very much based like built into it and that's very much based around it. The first scene I think is them playing D D. So Yeah, and all like all the names of creatures and, and uh monsters and, and even some characters and stuff are mm. um are are D D characters. The the demigorgon yeah, the, exactly. the mind flare, like all these um all these things, they uh, they are Dungeons and Dragons terms. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um and so I think it's become far more um, popular or far more in the in the in the in the common in the common you know in the common talk in the common speak. Yeah, so you'll heard it from a lot of different places. Awesome, cool. So from a you know if if I wanted to to start say say I'd never played D and D before, Luke, and I wanted to to run a D and D campaign. Yep. What would I need? What are the bare, bare minimum resources? Do I need to go out and buy like a board game? Um, itself, or do I just need books, or do I can I just do it with my imagination? Well, first off, you will need at least one player because playing D and D by yourself is not always the you know the most fun thing. Um, so, what I would suggest is you know get a player two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, with, uh, you know as many as you can gather, but just not too many. From there, yep. you don't need a board game. You could even actually play Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition for free because there is a, a like a free uh, open source sort of uh, PDF on the Wizards of the Coast Dungeons and Dragons website. Um, mm-hmm. But if you would like to play Dungeons and Dragons in the best possible way with the most in the, in the with the the bare minimum resources. As a um, as a DM or a GM, I would suggest getting the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Monster Manual, and the Player's Handbook. They're the three books that you should be running it with. Uh, there are plenty of other books, um, like adventure books and extensions and practically DLCs, <laughs> uh, but they're not completely necessary. The Dungeon Master's Guide will um, tell you how to run things and what you should be doing as a GM. It has magic items. It has role charts for um, for events and places and NPCs and monsters and why they do things and why people say things. And if the old man has a twitch or a limp or he's secretly trying to swindle you, it's got all these different things in there. The Monster mm. Manual is basically that. It's a book full of monsters in which your players, your heroes, your villains, whoever your players might be, to uh, fight, to kill, to capture, to do whatever they wish uh, with the monsters. It's what you use to try to kill the... No, not to kill your players. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's what you use to to fill the world with um, 
with trouble and with hurdles for your players to overcome. The Player's Handbook is exactly that. It's a book in which you will you will read the rules, you will have everything available to you to be able to create a character from the races, elf, dwarf, tiefling, dragonborn, orc, human, etc. Uh, and the classes like barbarian, fighter, rogue, wizard. Um, this book has all of the inventory uh, and, and items, objects like swords and shields and backpacks and ropes. Um, spells, all that sort of stuff. And finally, besides pens and paper and some things to take notes and do little drawings and that sort of thing, what you will need are the dice, a polyhedral dice set. And you're looking at seven dice. You've got a d20, you've got a d12, a d10, d8s, a d6, and a d4. And all of these will be used in the Dungeons and Dragons system. You can get these dice from uh, practically any game store. A lot of board game shops will have them as well. And that's all you really need, those three books. Um, you can probably Google monsters and stuff like that if you want to, uh, instead of buying the monster manual, if it's, a, you know, if it's a little too costly for you, just know that it may not be those monsters that, that are created by, you know, the average Joe may not be balanced and you might accidentally either have incredibly weak monsters or monsters that are too strong. So just keep that in mm. mind. That's true. But in with the, with the balance aspect, that's, that comes very much back to the DM. I mean, I've yeah. definitely known that as, as a DM myself, I've run encounters, which might be a bit too difficult, in which case as a DM, you can, you can fudge the numbers. Like there'll be, a, I, I know you as well, Luke, have done this plenty of times where you have chained, you've rolled the dice to say as the monster attacks, and if the monster is too strong or too weak, you will roll the dice and you don't really care what you rolled. You will just make up what you rolled. Yeah, I, I would do that to fit the storyline. Um, yeah. And, like, as a DM, I am invested in the characters. I'm mm. a fan of my my players' characters. I, I like their characters. I love them. They're, they're a part of this story that we create. Um, and I'm not going to just kill one because of the lols or, be kill, one, or kill one of them. Uh, because a monster rolled too high, if it doesn't really suit the situation or it doesn't suit the storyline. Um... Mm. And it, it fits into what we were discussing before about the DM being the kind of the ref, referee between the mechanics and the narrative. Like, if, if you're a DM who prefers to have the narrative as more important, then yeah, then the, the roles are to facilitate the narrative. But if you're more mechanical-based, you you really want what the roles, what they roll to be exactly what they roll. And then the roles have a more important effect on the narrative. That's that's fine. That's how you want to run D&D. Yeah. Awesome. So um, we've talked a lot about DMs and GMs. And what about players, mm. um, Ben? Uh, I'm, yep. a, I'm a player. I'm starting, you know, I'm coming into your campaign fresh. Mm. Um, I haven't played before. What should I, like, what do I need? Um, I'm cool. I'm cool to buy, you know, a book maybe too. But, you know, obviously, if I don't have to buy something, that would be great. Um, but absolutely mm. happy to buy a book if I need to. What, what should I, what should I bring? For, for people who are, who are just getting into D&D, they can if they're really, um, enthusiastic or if they've got you know some cash to burn they can get the player's handbook just for themselves like that's really all a player needs and a player should have is a player's handbook 
Um, getting the monster manual, it is cool to see all the monsters that you might be fighting, but it's also not necessarily the best thing for a player to know the rules and the health and the mechanics of the monsters they fight, because then they're not surprised. Like, you don't really want to be, in a sense, in a sense, cheating or trying to find that information the DM doesn't really, really want you to know. Yeah. So, the, and, and same with the DM, the Dungeon Master's card. Like, that's really just for the Dungeon Master. So the player's handbook is really all you need. And even in many cases, you won't need to get that. I remember when we started D&D, that would have, how many years ago? That would have been nearly 10 years ago? Yeah, it's about 10 years ago. About 10 years ago, we had, we didn't really know much about D&D, except that we wanted to play it and test it out. And so I think we had one, one, like, at that point of that edition, one player's handbook. And we all met together at one day and spent, you know, a good afternoon just chatting, chilling, hanging out, but also making our characters using that one book, just sharing that around. So I'd say the same thing is that the same thing now is, is if you're starting, either the DM is going to have a player's handbook or one of the more experienced players might have a player's handbook and, you know, you can just share it around. I think that's probably the best thing for new for new people. Yeah, that's 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 great because another thing is like if you're sharing the book around and you've just joined a group, you may not know the people. Um, it's a good way to sort of um, sort of get to know them a little better as well. You know, you can say, "Oh, hey, yeah. man, can I? You know, can I? Uh, you know, use your PHP real quick, and um, you know, y- they might be able to help you with building your character or choosing a spell when you level up and that sort of thing." So it's um, yeah, it's it's great. Mm. Uh, as well as that, plays. Players really just need a set of the the polyhedral dice we're talking about. You know, if you're if you're freaked out by what polyhedral means, it just means that it's a dice in which all the sides of the dice are the same shape. So like a, a six sided dice are all squares, or twenty sided dice they're all triangles and and, and such. Um, but yeah, that's really all you need. So you you probably need some access to the player's handbook and a set of dice for yourself. I would say access to a set of polyhedral dice, but it can be a bit annoying to to not have your own and, and to continually ask to use someone else's. Yeah, look, if uh, you go down to, you know, if you're in Australia, if you're Australian, if you're from Australia, yeah, Australia. Uh, just go down to one of the game <laughs> shops, you know, Melbourne CBD, for example, they have um, two mind game stores on the same street. There are multiple and many game stores if you go in there and you don't have to remember the name polyhedral if you just go to the guy at the counter and go hey 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 guy at the counter um do you have any rpg dice they'll be like yeah mm-hmm. dude here they're like seven dollars or twelve dollars um you know depending on how cool you want to get with your dice yeah um and then you know just give him across your, your seven bucks get your your dice set your rpg dice set and get rolling Get, yeah. Get your roll on, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and that's that's really all you all you need is the player and a desire and a drive to play an excellent game. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good. If you haven't played it, um, and you know people who do, just um, you know, jump on your Facebook, you or you get on your phone, give them a call and say um, or an SMS and say, hey. You know how you run D and D. Is it cool if I come down for a session, just session, to see if I, you know, if I enjoy it, or can I join, or can mm. I watch and not, in, you know, not play, just to just to see it. Um, and I, I think if you do sit down and you and you have a watch, or, or you, if you give it a go, I think you'll really enjoy it, and you'll probably start playing it, or even try and run it yourself. Mm. Um, so you know, like Ben, mm. I've just I've just been on 
book depository. I've I've gone to um, Mind Games and Good Game in 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 the city. Um, I've seen that there are heaps and heaps of Dungeons and Dragons booked. Um, do I, you know, if I'm a DM or even a player, do I need them all? Like, I really enjoy D and D, and I'm going to continue playing it. But do I need to buy all those books? No, not really. Um, depends. Some of them add are very specific about the certain, say, aspects you might be trying to add to your campaign. So um, I'm not very familiar with it. Luke, you'll be far more familiar with the extra books. Um, I simply, as a DM, I simply have the access to the player's handbook, the monster manual, and the dungeon master's guide. Yes. So, like, if you see, um, if you see, like, a book, you know, Storm King's Thunder, uh, you know, it's based, it's based around some giant lands. The characters go to a land full of giants, and there are bad giants and good giants and humans and and, and shorter people, average size people that are um, threatened by such giants. Um, mm. And that, it's just, you know, another storyline or a campaign that you can follow for, you know, a yeah, small exactly. amount of time, uh, but it's not completely necessary. Yeah, and the Riders of Wizards of the Coast are quite good at what they do. Um, this edition, I think, is, yeah, is, is quite good, but my characters for the foreseeable future aren't going anywhere where there's where there's a whole heap of giants. So I don't see any real need to, to get... Um, the Wizards of the Coast advice on, on how to run something I'm not going to run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now, like, I've seen on, on TV shows um, that they have a board um, mm. with, you know, tiles or squares on it uh, and little characters, like little miniature, you know, characters that represent the wizard or, or the, the fighter or the monster. Um, like, do, do I need... Ben, do I need them? No, not really. It, it depends. Some editions of D&D... Uh, are more uh, more reliant upon upon the kind of board game mechanics where you have tiles and you have you know your character and you move them x squares on your turn. Um, it all really depends on on how you want to run it. I, as a DM, I will I will admit I'm I'm a bit when it comes to the mechanics and it comes to the miniature side and the kind of drawing maps. I'm a bit lazier, um, which is something I should improve on as a DM. No, Ben, look, you know what? I wouldn't say that at all. I think that um, you focus on the narrative and the continuation of the story and f- facilitation of the story rather than, oh, you're, two, you're three squares away. You can't cast that spell without being attacked by this and then oh, yeah, this yeah. chain reaction. Yeah, sure. You know, like, you, you know the rules and you, um, you stand by the rules, but you're not a rules lawyer is one term that people use that are like no you can't do that because this 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 and this mm. um you're you're more free free flowing um of a dm and that's i think that's personally i think that's the best way to be because otherwise it takes you out of the narrative if you have to and it takes you out of your character you have to sit there and go oh hold on if i'm in this square and i need to get to this square um to be able to hit these bad boys these bad boy evil boys um then i sh- have to move here but if I move around in a circle and then zigzag across, um, I don't take a hit from this or this or this or get into this trap that I know is there because another player found it, but my player didn't see it. it you know, you mm. start to metagame and I think it takes you out. So, um, Me- uh, metagame. Okay. That's, that's something we didn't really talk about before when we we're talking about terms. So can you quick, what is metagame? Metagaming is 
Metagaming is when you make a choice uh, or you make an action or you or you do something within the RPG system that isn't um, that isn't character based in a sense. Like you don't do something that your character would do. You would do something that you would do to benefit yourself in the game to win. Uh, so, uh, for example, as the DM has described, uh, there is some boxes of black powder behind the bad guy and you're just a, a simple villager who's been forced into an epic adventure um so what you decide to do is um you grab your torch and you throw it at the black powder to create a chain uh, reaction of explosions behind the bad guy but you've never your character's never seen black powder you don't know what it is he's just described that there is there are barrels over there with black powder in it uh for, for all you know it could be pepper but you mm. decide to metagame and make a choice on something that your character doesn't know to benefit yourself, to kill the bad guy um, and, and succeed, which yeah, okay. is not fun. Um, or, you know, to some people it's fun, but it doesn't make sense in the story. Um, most GMs, DMs won't enjoy that sort of, um, that sort of play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, back, yeah, back to miniatures and tiles. It it can be useful. There are, there are times I think miniatures and tiles are very good, or at least you don't necessarily need miniatures, but at least a representation of the, the map, especially for combat and, um, say, tokens that represent where the players are. Cause sometimes it can be difficult for you as the DM. You picture what the combat is looking like, and you try to describe that well. But everyone else who's playing, you know, you might have anywhere from two to six or even more people playing in a particular session, they might have a very different perception or very different imagination of the scene you have just described. Yeah, so sometimes having that representation is really good to sort of um, position all the people and know that they can, yeah, I can shoot that guy with my bow or, oh, there's a huge rock in the way. I I can't Mm -hmm. see that guy. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, uh, for example... um, I use I used to use a lot of tiles and we've purchased some pretty awesome tiles and miniatures and we've got a whole bunch of that stuff as as a group as a group of friends that have been playing for so long, uh, which we don't use as much as like we would probably like to, but we yeah. found it more convenient and more fluid to be able to say use a a whiteboard. Um, I I have a white I have two whiteboards that I usually lay down on the table and I get some markers, some dry erase or whiteboard markers, and I draw out the trees or I draw out the river that the, the team or that the party have to jump across before all of the goblins pepper them with, you know, flaming arrows. Um, mm. And we draw that down and then we move little tokens or the miniatures around on there if we need to. Um, so that's that's probably a good one too. You know, Officeworks or some of those stationary places have some whiteboards um, fairly cheap. Uh, you can pick up as well if you're uh, if you want to give that a go. Hey Ben, um, yeah, you know I've seen on some TV shows and I've heard some people talk about it um, that say that you know D and D's sort of evil because it's got witches and black magic and demons and devils in it and stuff. Is is that right? Well, yeah, I've I've heard that before, um, and it was very similar to you know a lot of all of issue with when Harry Potter books came out. Um, I wouldn't say, first before I answer the question, like I can understand the reaction and I myself have been um, religious and have been Christian my whole life and so a bit of grown up around a lot of science fiction and and 
fantasy genres as well. So I can understand why people would think it is evil. Um, and I don't wish to make light of anything that people think is encroaching upon their very um, deeply held beliefs. I would say that D&D is not, is not by its own nature evil. Um, I mean, it's, it's like it has, yes, in many ways it has magic in it and like built into the rules and, and they are, they're available to, to be used. Um, but you've got other things like, um, other, other things like Lord of the Rings, Narnia, um, Star Wars, like, you know, Star Wars is science fiction, but the force and all that stuff is, is more or less like space magic. Um, and yeah, the Jedi, are, the Jedi, um, they're a religious group. Yeah, they're basically space wizards. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. So I would say, I'd say D and D really, I mean, has the potential, I think, to be to be very kind of weird and creepy sometimes, and and that's a, that's that's like any story. Like um, Game of Thrones is is a very I like watching Game of Thrones, but there are many times I don't like necessarily the explicit nudity and, and violence and stuff. Sometimes I. I don't like that, but I like the narrative. I think it's a lot of it is is D and D is D and D bad? Is should you be playing D and D? Comes down to what group are you playing in? Like, what is the purpose or the meaning behind the narrative that you're playing? If you don't really like the idea of kind of very occult ideas or or you know summoning or trying to you know talk to and worship and and and, and talk to demons and stuff, which I personally don't, I find that very unnecessary and very unpalatable so i've never played a D game that that focuses on that i've never run a D game that focuses on that yeah so it's like the, the content of the game so you know you can play one where you're a bunch of part you can play D and you're a bunch of pirates on the open seas fighting krakens and sea monsters and such and then you've got ones where you're a bunch of um you know evil people like evil dudes that are going around trying to capture people and sacrifice them to their evil god and all that sort of stuff so you know it just mm. depends on what you play what setting what campaign who's running it and um yeah so i i guess like um is dnd evil uh that's probably a, a no it's all up to no. what's going on in the game i'd say yeah i'd say is dnd evil no can the people who are running dnd be you know nefarious in what they're trying to do perhaps but that's that's people yeah so we look Guys who haven't um, played D&D, and if you're listening you um, and you're very curious about it, we do not sit around in dark rooms that are <laughs> lit with only candles, and we do not drink from skulls. I yes, yeah. It's, look, it sounds kind of <clears throat> like cool and funny in a way, but like we, d- we don't do that. It's usually sitting around in a bright room with a whiteboard on the table, laughing at each other, eating pizza and shapes. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's All definitely. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely it. Like we 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 sit around eating pizza, cracking jokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else would just get in the way. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Now we have some. Um, to finish this up, um, we have some listener questions. Uh, only a few of them. So uh, the first one being, I thought it was like Lord of the Rings. Now, um. It's not really a question. Uh, it's kind of in relation to our our cyberpunk sort of futuristic fantasy setting. Um, ben, uh, I thought it was like Lord of the Rings. Uh, well, most D&D campaigns are 
like Lord of the Rings in the in the fact that you know Lord of the Rings is one of the most famous kind of fantasy settings in the in you know in the Western in the Western world, and D and D is very much based upon the mythology and the and the background of the Lord of the Rings and the, and and Middle Earth and Tolkien's work. So it's understandable that people would think that D and D is like Lord of the Rings. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be, or it needs to be, or that it, um, you know, that, that you oh, yeah, have no, to make it like that at all. So you, you know, we not. do a cyberpunk one, and there's elves and dwarves and stuff. But you know, the dwarves don't live deep underground in a mine, and they're all greedy and shit. Um, and the elves mm. don't live in forests and stuff. They fly around in hovercars in our setting. So don't feel like you need to make it like Lord of the Rings, or if you want to make it like Lord of the Rings, you know, so be it. You can mm. be Legolas if you wish. Yeah. If, if you really wanted Lord of the Rings one, though, you can play the Lord of the Rings RPG. That's that's a, that's a, that's a great thing to do. Yeah. Um, but the D&D system, Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, is, by its nature, built to be used in a more of a medieval fantasy setting. Like, that's, that's just how it's made, and that's fine. Um... And we have, uh, Luke has put in a lot of effort to uh, to convert that across into a very cyberpunk, very futuristic science um, science fiction kind of setting. Um, it's not all my work too. You did a lot of work on the the mechanics of guns and energy weapons and how that would work in in relation to the fifth edition uh, mechanics. So yeah. like. Pat on the back for you as well, sir, uh, which we will talk about maybe in a, another podcast a little little, um, little down the track, just about um, the conversion and how we did it and what we do it and why we do it um, into the futuristic setting. Um, yeah, but we'll leave that for next time. So the next listener question, Ben, um, just a little quick one. Do you have to be experienced to play or run D&D? Can I be new to D&D and run D&D? Oh, yeah, you definitely can. I mean, we started, as I said before, 10 years ago. None of us ever played D&D before. Um, we just guessed our way through it, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, you just guessed We didn't really know it. the rules, and um, but, you know, that sort of was the fun of it as well. Yeah, exactly. You'll, you'll make mistakes. Um, you'll, you'll do things poorly. Something's very, very well. But, I mean, in the end, D&D is... The focus of D&D is a very social and narrative aspect, I think. And so... Even if you do make mistakes, you should all be, you know, friends sitting around a table being able to laugh at, at the fact that you're inexperienced. Um, and and they're great. They're great experiences. So just um, our last one, our last little question here. I'll, um, I'll, I'll ask you this question. Okay. If, if okay. That's okay. Cool. Because yeah. you're the one, yeah, you're the one who, who is the DM for, um, for Beyond the Dice and for the, the campaign that we're playing. So yep. how do you, Luke keep players from going off the rails and not following the story. Okay. Um, I I don't like to stop them from not following my story. I used to have this thing that I called the DM tree. And so I got, I had an, uh, an A4 piece of paper, A3 piece, piece of paper in portrait, and I would start off with where the players currently are, and then it would have a single line going up to an event. And then from there, all these little lines and branches that would curve up towards the top of the page with all the choices that I thought they could, that they would make. 
uh, and all of the things that would happen after that. And it would spread from where the players are into this big, massive tree of the storyline that I think what what is you know what's going to happen and where I think they will choose to go and all of the different things, all the choices and all the reactions and all the events that happen and and, and grow from that until um, a particular campaign where <laughs> I would have this tree and I would be drawing new branches as the characters choose. They were starting to make choices that threw off my plans completely, and so. I um I was like, you know what? Let's just play loose Lucy with it. And I sort of just went along and had these base storylines instead of this big tree. Um so I I don't like to to make sh- I don't like to stop people and players from going off of the rails. Um there are sometimes ways that you have to get them back to the storyline, otherwise you're just playing this random game. Um or, or you know, random storyline and nothing really matches up and um, the narrative isn't that great if you sort of let that completely get out of control. Uh, so what what you do is throw in hooks to try and bring them back, or you create a cutscene which forces them into a certain scenario, and then it's, you know you know re- readjusts or um, uh, yeah readjusts your your storyline. So uh, you know uh, as an example um, uh, in the podcast. This wasn't really to stop them from railroading. It was just to um, create a character um, and and show the strength of something and, and maybe something for them to aim for in the future. When they were in Terry's diner uh, and Cortain was thrown through the window by the Mecha Bugbear uh, and the Mecha Bugbear proceeded to just destroy them and leave them unconscious in a burning building. Um, that was a way of me introducing a, a possible you know, bad guy for, for the future, um, to, to show that, that these, that they are not invincible superhero characters to sort of give them uh, mortality and, um, and, and to continue the storyline and to make the Edict of Ire, the bad guys seem a little more bad than a bunch of goons that are just going around hustling people. Um, Mm. they are, they are, they are tough and they're more of a, a real, um, organization that are angry or evil or bad or um uh, criminal um so you know there are those little things that that you do to to create a storyline or to redirect the storyline to adjust the storyline back towards something or in a direction that you want to take uh, but yeah. by no means do i railroad which <clears throat> is me which is says that uh ben says all right where well, i'm in the forest um uh, you know what? I'm not going to look for my sister. She's made her choices. I'm going to, you know, what? I'm going to run away and I'm going to start a farm. And I'm like, uh, will you go to start the farm and a bandits attack and it's your sister? I, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, I don't like to railroad. It's not the most fun thing. It doesn't feel natural. Um, so yeah, saying, oh yeah, but, um, saying, saying that railroading isn't, isn't, isn't all bad. I, it depends on the, no. the people's, the players' perspectives. I know a good friend of ours, um, Aiden. I don't know if I should say his name. Aiden. Um, he really likes. He sometimes says, "I prefer railroading." He prefers having a very clear goal and a linear path. Yeah, leading a path, and every action they should be taking should be trying to fulfill that goal, rather than me giving them the a very sandbox experience, giving them the freedom to just go off and do side quests or just go off and do unrelated things. 
there are some players who just like the 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 main narrative, and that's completely fine. Yeah, but um, you know, that's I I think that's more of a, a linear storyline that everyone's sort of happy to follow, like the uh, the D and D adventure books. They're sort of mm. linear. They have you know paths that you can choose to go along. Uh, but it, it is still a, a pre written adventure or or a narrative in a book form that you can follow. Um, where in a sandbox world you can practically do anything. So there's a big difference between that and then in the sandbox dragging your characters all over the place to fit your storyline that you've decided, um, you know, yeah. force, forcing them to go places and take actions with events and characters or just basically forcing them to do it and saying, no, you're here. That's some good old woo-woo railroading when you force somebody to do something that they wouldn't necessarily do to fit your story. Of course, and that's that's definitely something that you should discuss as a DM with the players. What do they want? Do they want a very linear narrative? Do they would they prefer you to push them back and railroad them back on track at times? That's yeah, you know, D and D groups are all different. So, all right, well, that will be the conclusion of uh, this current episode, uh, the introduction to RPG and Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so, as we go out. If you haven't played Dungeons and Dragons, I would suggest getting uh, in touch with people who have or even people who haven't that might be interested, some friends or some family members and saying, hey, can I play Dungeons and Dragons with you? Can I watch Dungeons and Dragons while you play? Do you want to start Dungeons and Dragons? I'll run it. Uh, and not me personally, but, you know, say that to your friends. Uh, get out there and give it a go. doesn't have to be Dungeons and Dragons. could be any other RPG. Um, but guys, seriously, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, it, you know, it doesn't have to be serious. It can be just full of jokes and mucking around and it's a good, it's a good way to catch up with friends and, um, you know, a great hobby, a great hobby to, um, to chase after. Oh, definitely. I, it's so very fun. All right. Well, I am Luke, your dungeon master, and I say... Have a good day, and we'll be back soon with um, some other episodes, um, and then not too long, not too far away, we shall continue our story with our mercenaries. Well, mm. thank you, Ben. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. And yeah, I'll see you, I'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. So, this is where Crux usually says some cool shit. Um, I don't know where he is right now. So, I'll leave you with these two words. Hot dogs. And once again, I fooled myself because hot dogs is one word, not two words. Thank you. Great. Hey... Thanks for downloading, thanks for listening, and thank you for chasing me through the woods pretending to be a giant spirit bear wearing a tuxedo and sandals with socks. Head on over to our website, www.beyondthedice.com. There you can find our episodes, of course, and you can find a PDF on various tools and tricks when running a campaign or playing in a D&D campaign as a player character. 
We also have Facebook. You can get all the news and updates for Beyond the Dice there. You can interact with us there at facebook.com slash btdpod. That's btdpod. We have Instagram. You can find us at Beyond the Dice. We take pictures of some nerdy, geeky stuff, some D&D stuff, some RPG-based stuff, and maybe some funny real-world things we see in the real-world times. And we would absolutely love if you could give us a review uh, on Podbean uh, or mainly iTunes. That's the, the best place to give us reviews because it helps us expose the podcast to a, a wider reach of people so that we can have more listeners and be able to do more things and grow our podcast into something bigger and better. Okay, travelers, adventurers, cyborgs, friends, whatever you are to us, may your adventure be grand. All right, guys, bye.